I'm Meg Dahl, your unbreakable host. Welcome to the show. friends and welcome back to a brand new episode of the unbreakable you podcast it's meg here as always and i have pre-recorded this episode for you so as you're listening to this if you're listening to it on the week that it comes out i am actually on holidays so i'm very excited about that As I'm recording this, I am actually leaving tomorrow for this trip. So this is like my pre-wedding girls trip with some of my bridesmaids who could make the trip out to BC with me. And I'm really, really excited about it. So like I said, if you're listening to this the week that it comes out, that's what I'm up to. And we are going to be spending some time out in BC. I know I mentioned this last week. So I'm just giving you an update if you didn't listen to last week's episode. But speaking about last week, today is actually like part two of last week's episode. So I put a question box up on Instagram and I actually got tons and tons of questions and most of them were about hypothalamic amenorrhea recovery and like periods and hormones and things like that. And I just could not get through all of the questions last week. Actually, last week, I think I only answered two questions because they were kind of biggies. But if I did not answer your question last week, then it should be on this week's podcast episode. So stick with me here because we are going to dive in to the remaining questions. So... Let's get to it. Let's just get to this first one. So we have our listener asking about getting her period back postpartum. So I actually am familiar with this listener. And I know that this listener has overcome hypothalamic amenorrhea before. So with hypothalamic amenorrhea, That means that you're not getting your period for those of you who aren't familiar with that. And it has a lot to do with the body not feeling safe enough in order to have a menstrual cycle, right? So the body isn't going to provide us with like this ability to reproduce and bring a human into the world if it feels as though things aren't safe or like our needs aren't being met, right? So a huge piece of HA recovery, and I'll be referring to hypothalamic amenorrhea. See, even I get tongue-tied sometimes. So I'll be referring to hypothalamic amenorrhea in this podcast episode from now on as HA. Now, when we are recovering from HA, we want to support the body in feeling safe again. And a big piece of this 
is making sure that we are correcting any energy deficits that might be present. So making sure we're eating enough and not over exercising and really looking at the stressors in our life too. So whenever I'm working with a client with HA, I like to kind of look at two buckets specifically. One bucket would be that energy deficit bucket. So are we in an energy deficit and working towards correcting that energy deficit And then the second bucket would be like that stress bucket. And as I mentioned last week, this is really where that somatic experiencing work that I do with my clients, which involves nervous system regulation and completing survival responses, trauma, renegotiation, all of that beautiful work that we do through a somatic experiencing lens that can also really address this stress bucket. So we're no longer operating from this survival state, like a sympathetic driven state, like that fight or flight state. So Moving back to this listener's question about getting her period back postpartum. Now, I just want to, you know, note that getting your period back postpartum, this is not something that I have been through myself before, but I have worked with so many women and supported so many women in getting their period back postpartum. And one thing that I do know is this journey looks so different for every single mother who is going through her postpartum period. And a lot of things play a really big role in that. So like what your birth experience was like, and also if you're breastfeeding. So those two things play two huge roles. And there's definitely other things at play here. But let's say you are well into your postpartum period and your period's just like still not there. I would be curious if you are still breastfeeding because a lot of women actually won't get their period back until they stop breastfeeding. So that's not the case for everyone, but breastfeeding requires a lot of calories. Now, again, I have never personally been in this experience before, but if you are a mother who has been through the postpartum period before and that also included breastfeeding for you, I bet you know how like hungry you were. It's a very energy demanding task for your body to produce this milk and feed and nourish your baby or your child. So while you're breastfeeding, we just really need to be cognizant of how energy demanding that task is on your body. And it might take until you stop breastfeeding for your period to return However, we also really want to make sure that we are actually consuming enough calories during the breastfeeding period and afterwards. So I would definitely like if you are waiting for your period to return postpartum, like recovery looks or it looks 
a lot like HA recovery, I should say. So we, we're going to look at the same things. Are you eating enough food? And honestly, for so many women, this oftentimes looks way more than you even realize, whether that is in your postpartum period or not. So many of us don't realize how much food we actually need to be eating. So that's one of the very first things that I would look at. And then we look at that second bucket, as I mentioned before. So the stress piece and stress can and is not eating enough calories, maybe moving more than what your body needs to be doing right now. So placing more energy demands on your body than necessary, or maybe there's other stressors in your life that are impacting and your body is actually holding on to that stress too. So this is where that nervous system work can really be so supportive, as I mentioned in last week's episode and earlier today as well. So kind of to sum that up, if you are working towards getting your period back postpartum, you know, be gentle with yourself, be patient. And if it kind of is around that year mark, maybe you're not breastfeeding anymore, your period's still not back, I would take like an honest look at your intake. Are you eating enough food? And also what is like, what are those energy demanding things that you're putting on your body? Do we need to maybe dial that back a little bit? Or can you increase the amount of food that you're eating, even if you feel as though you're eating enough? And then getting curious about what your body's actually holding on to in terms of stress. And if you are getting signs or you do know that, oh, hey, maybe I am operating from this sympathetic state for most of my days or, you know, a large percentage of the time, maybe that can be a cue for you to start paying more attention to your nervous system and supporting it in coming back into a more ventral state and just getting more access to regulation. So hopefully that's helpful there. And then moving on to our second question for today is debilitating painful periods. So she just kind of has no specific question, but I'm assuming like if she's having debilitating painful periods, she just kind of wants support in that area. So this is very, very common for so many women but it's not normal. And this gal probably realizes that's not normal because she's actually reaching out and asking for support in this area of her life. So with really, really painful periods, this often is due to an imbalance in the ratio between estrogen and progesterone. And it doesn't mean that you have tons of estrogen. It could mean just that your 
estrogen is maybe in a normal range and your progesterone is really low. So it's just like a imbalanced ratio of the two. So you can have a lot of estrogen or it can be just presenting as elevated estrogen because the progesterone is actually the thing that's low. So we want to look at those balances and supporting the body in maybe increasing progesterone if that is the case and making sure we're supporting the body in like eliminating any excess estrogen that might be present. So just really basic hormone supporting tools I would start with and I did actually record a podcast episode quite recently about some of the things that I was doing or am doing to support my cycles that have worked really well for me and I talk about things like drinking roasted dandelion root tea and doing my castor oil packs and these practices are really helpful for hormone balance and also supporting the nervous system too but if someone is struggling with really really painful periods these practices are supportive for that hormone balance and then therefore hopefully you will experience less pain when you have your menstrual cycle So those are some more like higher level things to do, but I want to start with the basics here too. So blood sugar balance. This is huge. This is the first thing that I pretty much look at with clients aside from making sure they're eating enough food because if we're not eating enough food, and again, like I said with my answer for the other question, if we're not eating enough food, then we actually, like that's a that's a really big stressor on the body. And when the body is stressed or perceiving stress, we aren't going to have like proper progesterone production. So we're not going to have this like really robust progesterone. And we need that for healthy, normal cycles. And when we don't have that, we often experience things like really symptomatic or painful periods. So that's why I always start with making sure we're eating enough food. And if you're a client of mine, You know, I always say this and I always say, okay, I know I sound like a broken record, but I have seen time and time and time and time again, increasing our food or looking at our intake. And if we're not eating enough, eating more food, and then these symptoms like painful periods or really symptomatic periods or all of these other health issues really correct themselves because the body truly cannot function properly when we're not eating enough food. So I know I sound like a broken record, guys, but truly, like I'm just starting there. That's always the first place that I'm going to look because, like I said, so many things happen as a result when we're actually not eating enough food. 
food is great. Calories is are amazing. We need enough energy coming in in order to function properly. So that's the first thing I'm going to look at. I'm I would also be curious like where your protein intake is because for a lot of women that can fall quite short and we need to be making sure we're eating enough of all macronutrients. But the reason I bring up protein specifically is because a lot of women can actually fall really short with protein. So that's another kind of area of nutrition that I would look at. And then I'd really move into blood sugar balancing. So are we eating consistently throughout the day? So kind of like a good rule of thumb is around every like three to four hours. And, you know, if it's two to four hours, some women actually eat like thrive off of eating more within like that two to three hour range. I know for me and my schedule, I was actually just talking with a client about this the other day, but I always want to make sure that I am really well fueled going into my one-on-one client sessions. So for me, I much prefer having like breakfast, snack, lunch, snack, dinner, snack. So I'm never going long periods of time without food and therefore maybe like getting hungry or snacky during one of my client calls. Because as soon as I start feeling like snacky or hungry, I'm not able to fully focus on my client and be present with them. And so anyways, going back to my answer about debilitating painful periods, we want to make sure that we are balancing blood sugar. And part of balancing blood sugar is not going long periods of time without eating. So if you're a type of person that maybe wakes up in the morning, you grab some breakfast, and then you don't eat again until like 1 p.m. at lunchtime or like noon or whenever lunchtime is for you, that can be quite a long stretch of time without food. So to support blood sugar balance, we might want to grab a little mid-morning snack, for an example, and then again, a mid-afternoon snack, and then having dinner rather than going all afternoon without food. So that's part of blood sugar balancing. Another really big part of blood sugar balancing is making sure that we're always, always, always pairing a protein and a carbohydrate together. So, you know, a salad like with some greens and some salmon on it, that's not a well balanced meal because there's actually not really any carbohydrates there at all, right? Sure. You could argue that there's some carbohydrates in the vegetables, which there is, but that's not like enough to balance the protein. So when we're just eating protein and no carbohydrates along with it, protein's actually blood sugar lowering. So we want to make sure that we're pairing the protein with a carbohydrate source. So you know, we're always having like potatoes with things or rice with things or pasta or bread or fruit, right? There's so many amazing carbohydrate 
options out there. And I think we all really enjoy carbohydrates. So we want to make sure that we're pairing the protein with a carbohydrate. And on the flip side, we want to pair our carbohydrates with proteins. So just as I said, proteins are blood sugar lowering, carbohydrates are actually blood sugar raising. So that is why we really want to make sure that we are balancing the two. And if we don't focus on blood sugar balancing, that's really impacting our hormones. So whenever I'm looking at hormone health, and I I really don't know anything about this listener who submitted this question about painful periods. So I really don't know what her intake is like at all, but those are the basics of where I would start. And then if we have all of that covered and things are still not moving in the right direction, that's when we can look at exactly like what she's eating. So are there things that are more inflammatory and can we add in things that are less inflammatory? Can we add in things that are going to support liver health and therefore support the elimination of excess estrogen in the body? So like I mentioned before, one of my favorite tools for this is roasted dandelion tea. I really love the traditional medicinals brand. It's phenomenal. If you're a coffee drinker, it kind of... In a way, don't get mad at me if you try this tea and you're like, Meg, this tastes nothing like coffee. I'm not saying it tastes like coffee, but it's this really dark, rich, earthy type of tea. And it's super great for the liver and therefore our hormones. So that's where I would start. I hope that's helpful. And just know, you know, like if you have been working on these like health imbalances or these symptoms and you're really not noticing any difference there, just know that I'm here or there's other practitioners out there that are here to support you in these symptoms and overcoming them and really getting to a place where you feel awesome because I want you to feel awesome. And while we're on the topic of like blood sugar balancing, I do have a question submitted about blood sugar. So again, this is actually not really like a question, more of like a topic suggestion. So all her request says is insulin and blood sugar in amenorrhea. So just kind of like a very broad topic. But as I was saying, like in order to support hormones, we definitely want to be supporting blood sugar balance. Now, something I do want to note as part of this topic on blood sugar, specifically with amenorrhea, is something that I personally experienced. So before I began my HA recovery journey, I was actually eating really, really, really low carb and kind of also not realizing how incredibly low carb I was eating. And then in order to 
get my period back, not only did I have to increase the amount of calories that I was eating, but I also had to significantly, like literally more than triple the amount of carbohydrates that I was consuming. Now, I did not do this all at once. It was a gradual thing for me. I don't think at the time I could have ever, ever like fathomed how many carbohydrates I actually had to be eating in order to be at the place where I am today with a really healthy cycle where I ovulate every month, where my luteal phase is a proper length, that sort of thing. But I did want to share that when I started to eat more carbohydrates, at the very beginning parts of my HA recovery journey, it felt like I was having blood sugar swings like crazy, even if I was like pairing it with protein. And it was just like my body really had to get used to eating carbohydrates again and not just like vegetables all the time. And so I just wanted to make that note too. Like there, your body knows how to process and utilize this food. But if you've been really, really low carb for a really long period of time, and then you're now in HA recovery, and you're trying to increase the amount of food that you're eating, including carbohydrates, you might kind of have that those symptoms too, like feeling like woo, um, kind of blood sugar swingy symptoms. It did not last long for me. So I just want to normalize that like, your body might have to go through this little bit of an adjustment period, but it will adjust and your body does need the carbohydrates to have this thriving cycle, like I said, where you ovulate every month, where you get your period every month and your luteal phase is the proper length. So if you're listening and you submitted that topic and Maybe you want me to dive into some more details about that. Definitely shoot me another message and I can explore that further or answer any more like specific questions that you have. Another HA recovery question. So what you ate in a day as a sample for period recovery and how blood sugar and insulin is affected by HA. So... I want to start off by saying I am open to giving you kind of like a sample guideline. I'm not a gal who's going to post like what I ate in a day videos because I think for the majority of people, those can really F with your mind and it doesn't bring you closer to yourself it doesn't bring you closer to your intuition. I can see how what I eat in a day videos can be really inspiring and maybe even eye-opening for those of us who aren't eating enough food. I know when I wasn't eating enough food and I saw these other people around me eating so much more food than I was, I found it incredibly inspiring. However, I know that's not the case for everyone and I want to make sure that the content that I put out there isn't like triggering for the majority of people and I do find that what I eat in a day videos can be not helpful for the majority, even triggering for 
a large population of people. So I just don't do them. I just don't think that they're super helpful. So I want to be putting out content that is like is helpful for the majority of people. Another reason why I'm like not super big into what I eat in a day videos is because it's so food focused and there's so much more to life than what we eat in a day, right? Like I think what I eat in a day is just boring. Like why? Like there's so many other things that I would rather be talking about than tell you what I ate in a day. I'm not sure a lot of you, I know a lot of our listeners here have been around for quite some time. So you've probably heard me say this before, but like, I think talking about our bodies is really, really boring, right? Like when someone talks about like how much weight they lost or if someone else has gained weight or just like talking about other people's bodies or your bodies or whatever like I find that type of conversation and that topic so incredibly boring and there's just so many other delicious juicy topics in life that we can be talking about and exploring together and I kind of feel the same way about what I eat in a day videos it's like isn't there anything better to be talking about than what we eat in a day? However, I do also know where this listener is coming from. I think when we are recovering from HA, we are really confused what like a proper amount of food actually looks like. And so that's kind of why I like almost sharing like a guideline of sorts with you. So what I do suggest is if you can have a breakfast within the first 30 minutes of waking up, that is awesome. And that breakfast should be leaving should have you leaving it feeling like super satisfied and full. Like if you feel like you could eat more, go back and eat more. Okay. So we don't want to just feel like content. We want to feel like, wow. Okay. Yep. I am like comfortably full. And that's probably going to change too when you're going through HA recovery, especially if you haven't been eating enough food, it's important to slowly like increase and expand the amount of food that you actually can eat in one sitting. So by the end of the day, you're actually eating enough food. So my back to my guideline is grabbing a breakfast within the first 30 minutes of waking up and then having a snack like or another little meal two to four hours later. And then after that, having lunch again, like two to four hours later, and then grabbing another snack or little meal two to four hours later, then having dinner two to four hours later. And then once again, having a little meal or snack before you go to bed. So by the end of the day, we are eating three meals three snacks. And if you are making sure that you're having a source of protein, some fats and carbohydrates at every single one of those meals and snacks and leaving them feeling quite satisfied, it is likely you're ending up at the end of the day 
roughly where you need to be. And then if your hunger cues haven't really been totally there from under eating after all of these years, after you are in that rhythm of nourishing your body, your hunger cues are going to come back and probably guide you towards maybe increasing the size of your meals and snacks, that sort of thing. So I would leave you with that guideline. I'm not going to tell you like exactly what I ate every day because there wasn't a specific formula, but I did make sure that I was eating enough food every day. I did track on days. I know there's a lot of like conflicting feelings around tracking and stuff, but I personally healed my relationship with tracking to the point where I could track and just see it as data rather than something that like, kind of controlled the way that I ate. And it was really helpful for me because I got a sense of, okay, this is enough food and this isn't enough food or, oh, I thought one banana was enough, but oh, I actually need to add two bananas to my smoothies to make sure I'm eating enough carbs, right? So it really gave me a lot of perspective. And if you're not at that place, that is okay. And that's also where working with a professional can come in with great, great value. This is something that I do with my clients a lot. If they're not at that place of being able to like log food themselves and like track themselves for a couple of days, they'll just kind of like write up what they're eating for me or send me pictures of what their meals and snacks look like. And then I'll plug it in on my end and track it for them and see where they're ending up at the end of the day. And we can see like roughly where they're ending up calorie wise, and where we can add some things in or make some adjustments. So I really hope that helps for those of you who are looking for samples of how to eat during HA recovery. Okay, so I have two more questions left. She says, I have no cervical mucus, but I'm recovered from an eating disorder and actively gaining more. So that's awesome. I'm super proud of you. There's no question presented there, but I'm really, really proud of you for recovering from your eating disorder and moving even further into recovery. Cervical mucus is definitely a sign of fertility. And we, some people, I know myself, like I actually noticed a change in my cervical mucus just one month into HA recovery. Other clients that I've worked with, that's something that might show up later on, but it sounds like you're doing exactly what you need to do. I'm not sure how long you've been in recovery for, but just know that the support is here. And if you're just like looking for maybe more personalized support in your recovery journey, just know I'm here for you. And then the last question is symptoms one month before period. So once again, this can definitely be different for every single person and it is different for every single person. For me, I'll just like share my personal experience. 
Um, I definitely at the very beginning of my like getting my period back and before my very first recovery period, I felt very emotional. I remember I was like crying on the floor and then I went to the washroom and I had my period and I was like, wow, that makes a lot of sense. So I was extremely emotional that day and I just felt sad and for no particular reason, I just felt really sad. And like I said, then I went to the washroom and I had blood and I was like, wow, my life makes sense now. And sometimes that even happens too. Like I just got my period, um, middle of July. I had to remember that this podcast isn't coming out like soon. So anyways, I just got my period like last week, I guess I should say. And the day before it came, I was quite moody And then the next day when it came, I was like, oh, well, that makes sense as to why I was so irritable the the day before. So that's what I personally experienced back then. And even now is changes in our mood. And we also want to remember like our hormones are at a all time low when our period starts. So when we are starting a new cycle, right? Like day one of our cycle, our hormones are at an all-time low so if you feel tired or if you just feel like you kind of want to have a day in bed and just read a book or snuggle your fur baby right those are all pretty good signs that your hormones are at an all-time low and your periods might be starting anytime soon at the beginning of like me getting my period back I also used to get really painful or like tender breasts. I don't experience that now anymore because I have made adjustments in how I take care of myself. I've mentioned a few of those already, the roasted dandelion root tea, the castor oil packs, also changing the type of bras that I wear. You can listen to all of my little like tips and tricks and Things that I do in my previous episode. I'm not sure which number that is off the top of my head, but you can just scroll and you'll know by the title which one I'm referring to. Some other symptoms, and I still get this sometime, is just like a kind of a tender or sore lower back. I know before I got my first recovery period, I do remember having a really sore lower back and I thought that was really interesting and then I ended up getting my period so I was getting these signs so really coming back to this question symptoms before your period can look all like all sorts of different things and they will and remember like we don't want these really symptomatic cycles. So if you're having tons of symptoms leading up to your period, like as common as that is, that's not normal, right? So yes, it it's can be fun and like kind of funny to talk about all of these symptoms, but we don't want these debilitating cycles and feeling like we have all of these symptoms leading up to our period, right? We we want to see that as information from our body and that there's likely an imbalance there. So 
that's where I'm going to wrap things up for you today. I have a fun podcast episode planned for us next week. Next week is the 26th of July. So next week's podcast episode is coming out exactly one month from Scott and my wedding day, which is so nuts to even think that we're one month out. It's kind of terrifying because not terrifying because I'm so, so, so incredibly excited to marry him, but terrifying in the sense that I feel like (laughs) there's still so much to do. So I'm really excited, but also like, I can't believe we're one month out as of next week on Wednesday, the 26th. But I'm going to have a very special guest on the show with me, and I'm really excited about it. He's only been on the show once before, and I'm having him on again. I'm pretty sure you can guess who I'm having on. And we'll see you next week, my friends. Thank you so much for these questions. It was really fun talking about HA recovery with you, and I'll probably post another question sticker on Instagram one of these days soon because I love answering your questions. So thank you so much. And I will be back next week with our special guest.